Welcome to Technically Minded, a podcast brought to you by Credera. We get technology leaders together to discuss what's happening in our world. Our discussions are always fun, lighthearted, and frankly opinionated. But hopefully it gives you a sense of what matters, what to pay attention to, and what to ignore. Welcome, Jason. Today, I have a fun one for us. All right, I'm looking forward to it. I want to talk about the role of a CDO. By the way, do you know what CDO means, Sarah? We mean chief data officer or chief digital officer? (laughs) I would have guessed both, but I did at least know. All right, good work. That is correct. This is one of those uh, overloaded terms. Yeah, so chief data officer specifically. Or I did a little bit of research before the podcast. The The other common ones would be, of course, my title, chief data scientist chief data and analytics officer or just chief analytics officer i spent as you guys know i spent last week uh over at mit at the cdo chief data officer iq mm-hmm. conference up at uh at, like i said in boston at mit and it was a really fun conference it was amazing a ton of cdos were there ranging from best buy to scotia bank to usaa um to a huge number of others as well it was it was easily the most CDOs I had spent a significant amount of time with at once. It was quite cool, really great event. But coming out of that, I mean, what I realized is that this role, while reasonably broad, as we just, as I just said, all those companies have one, is incredibly massive and equally ambiguous. I mean, data crosses, if you think about a chief data officer, their job must be data. And if you think about data, it crosses the entire organization and touches every business, every department, every executive that's already there. And it leaves the CDOs with this massive, massive area of responsibility. And, and what's remarkable about that is that despite all of that, and despite managing the, you know, the world's most valuable asset, CEOs, the actual, the actual executive or board of directors, rarely, if ever, I only found one example where they did this, but rarely, if ever, provide any clear objectives of what success looks like for that role beyond make us more data-driven. And it seems to me like without a clear charter, without the accompanying authority, the process to transform an entire organization's culture to be data-driven is at best difficult and at worst futile. And, and what, thinking about that, I think there's a lot that goes into that and I want to kind of unpack that today. But I was trying to figure out, are there places in the world that we've seen something like this happen before? These transitions of this new this new data in this case, but some other technology, we're going to introduce a new role and it's kind of nebulous, it's very broad, it's very difficult to get our arms around. And it occurred to me, Jason, that your role, our chief technology officer, I think went through the same transition not so long ago. That's right. I think. CIO or CTO, I mean, it, it depends on what companies, you know, what companies call the role. But By the way, I heard, I heard a great one real quick. Sorry to interrupt you. CIO meant uh, career is over. That's what it used to mean. <laughs> yes, that's right. But, you know, companies have roles that are focused, you know, on, on internal technology, things like email and, and finance and, and keep the lights running. And then they work increasingly more to expose you know, the company externally throughout the digital ecosystem. And some folks will call that role CIO, the internal one CIO, the external one CTO. Some people will call it the opposite, right? It doesn't really, you know, it depends on what you call, but those are, are two pretty well-defined roles. But okay. And they are, are they typically distinct, by the way? Because I want to get into that with data versus data and analytics. I want to talk about that too. Are they separate or are they the same usually? They are typically separate roles, okay. right? For different people. Although 
both there may be a CIO that has reports responsible for both internal and external. Okay. Right. But uh, and again, that's very company or structure specific. But the two roles, internal and external, do exist. And and if you think about the external technology, it has certainly grown significantly in the last twenty years. I love to tell the story. There was an article back in 2003 in the Harvard Business Review by a guy named Nicholas Cars. Very, I'm sure a lot of the listeners will have heard of it. It was an article that was called IT Doesn't Matter. And <laughs> This was 2003 or 2003. Something? And okay. his argument was that eventually technology would all become commodity lowest bidder, just like essentially like the telephone system, mm-hmm. right? Telephone, fax, copier, they're all commodities. We go out, we hire, you know, AT&T to come in and put phones on the desk. We don't like them next week. We get Cisco and they replace it, you know, with their system, voicemail and all of that. And then essentially all technology would become commoditized like that. Clearly that didn't happen, right? If you, if you look at what has happened since 2003, the world has gotten more and more Mm -hmm. dependent on technology companies whether you call it digital transformation or whatever, I love the Mark Andreessen quote, software is eating the world. Mm -hmm. Everything is driven by software, right? Mm -hmm. Like what do you do every day from your watch, looking at your watch to driving your car, to making an airline booking, to getting reservations for dinner tonight with my daughter. Everything is driven by software and people expect more and more and more from the technology ecosystem, right? I expect to be able to order on Uber Eats from any restaurant I want. Sure. Right. So, and companies have to continue to keep growing and adding these digital capabilities. And in a lot of ways, the CIO, I'll I'll call the role CIO for, for the purpose of the podcast, but they have become very, very, you know, important to the long-term success and strategy and survival of the organization. And so it, it has gone from being, we, you know, we manage some internal systems like email and fax and, and finance that a small subset of internal users use and we need to be able to run the business, but it's, you know, somewhat commodity and, and a cost, you know, big cost center mm-hmm. to being like, we had to reimagine the role as someone that is really a business leader, right? That works with the business to see how we can use technology to achieve those objectives. And they had to reimagine how the entire software and technology delivery function works within within the organization and you know they had to like reevaluate how they look at talent and people and culture and everything to to transition to these more technology you know fo- focused organizations and and so that has been a big transition and so where they are now i don't know that it is perfectly defined mm-hmm. right but I, I think it is a lot more defined and i, and I guess the point of all this long winded rambling answer is that I think the chief data officers are somewhere in that initial state where, well, it was data and we needed it. And, yeah. and now it's becoming critical to the success of the business and, and like what those different roles and responsibilities are, are still somewhat, you know, nebulous, unclear or different in different companies. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, and I'll just give you some stats here just to sort of set the stage a bit more. If you think about, there's a, there's a couple of studies I'm going to be referencing today. Let me just call them out ahead of time so I don't have to keep pulling them up. Um, the first is from New Vantage Partners. 
This is this is called the Data and AI Leadership Executive Survey from 2022. Really good, lots of great data in there. The second one I'm going to be referencing a fair amount is from PwC Strategy and, and they call it there in the age of data. Why are there so few chief data officers? Couple things I want to call out right, right away. The first is that, and, and by the way, these do have different sample sizes and different respondents here. So there, some stats aren't exactly compatible, but I'll do my best to kind of clarify where that's appropriate. The headline here is that out of the top 2,500 publicly traded companies worldwide, only 21% have a chief data officer at all. And most of those data, data officers have been hired in the past year or two. If you look at those roles, there isn't a consensus here yet, but most do not report to the CEO currently. And I want to talk about that some and, and how that played out for CIOs and CTOs historically. And the other interesting thing is that out of all of those people who have been appointed, currently the average tenure of a CDO is only 18 months. And so I think a lot of that has parallels to what you just described that the CIOs and CTOs went through before, which is Again, you're responsible for this cost center. It, it largely CDO role came out of compliance and regulatory requirements. If you look at the places where these things have better adoption, it's typically insurance, it's typically banking, pharma, for example, places where you had some regulatory requirements around it, and they were very defensive in the way they talked about it. Um, how did that play out for CIOs? Again, it must have been similar in that, hey, there's this e-commerce thing. We have to get on the bandwagon. It feels a bit defensive. If we don't do it, our competitors are going to do it. Maybe there's some innovation in there originally, um, but how did that play out for you all and what could we learn from the data side? I think CIOs before 2000, let's say, probably mostly reported to the CFO, okay. right? And, or if they did, they report to the CEO, they were not viewed as a strategic leader. They were you know, viewed as someone that oversaw a very large cost center, right? That, that that didn't have a lot of strategic bearing on, on the direction of the company. And it was really more cost of doing business. We have to have printers, we have to have copiers, we have to have phones, we have to have all these computer systems. Mm -hmm. I do think you called out one thing, the, the advent of the web and e-commerce mm -hmm. really was a big driver. It's like, wait a minute, we have to now put these systems online. Mm -hmm. When we put them online, they have to scale, not to 100 people in our call center, but to potentially 100,000 people every day online. The other aspect of that is security. Like when we put them online, we have a huge security, now security issue in that that data can you know, be hacked, leave, and, and we can have a lot of bad outcomes. So that I think was one big turning point. The second turning point was 2007, mm -hmm. was the invention of the smartphone, right? And we put more and more capability data on smart devices and the people interact with every single day, right? How, how long do you go without using some, even getting your email mm -hmm. on your phone, texting? Like, I don't want to tell you how much stuff I buy off Amazon prime on my phone, you know, <laughs> tracking your heart rate, sure. right? your health and, and everything else, you know, purchasing airline tickets, changing your flights. I mean, how integral is your phone? And so again, that went from, well, now not only do we have to publish this stuff out on the web, we have to publish this stuff out to mobile devices, which is a different form factor. In, in, in those days, 2007, they had very little memory. Things had to be very scaled down. We couldn't really use the same solutions for both. And then a few years ago, the idea of the kind of digital ecosystem arose where it wasn't so much that you had to offer your products and services through the web or through mobile, but through an entire digital ecosystem, right? The, 
example there is Uber Eats, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I don't just, if I'm a restaurant, I don't just do online reservations. Now I take or, or take online orders through my own site or uh, my own mobile app. I now have to take them through Uber Eats and DoorDash and plug in with all of these other ordering or delivery providers and start having to integrate externally and most integrations today are through external systems through some type of api not internal systems and even many of the way we started building systems relied on moving things more into this kind of digital ecosystem an example there is payment sure right like i don't no one builds their own payment provider right they they use one of the third parties that are available or calculate tax and so these systems become a very distributed network across you know, both internal and external parties. And so as we do that, technology becomes more and more crucial to the functioning of the company. And, you know, that's what I think has led to the the CIOs becoming more and more important in the company's leadership. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Again, reporting to the CFO sounds to me like what you're saying is at least early days before e-commerce, and this really drove a lot of business innovation and, and revenue, it was really cost savings. It was how do we manage this cost? We know we have to do it a bit defensive and then just sort of putting a cap a cap on the cost of it. Is that right? That's right. And I think that that aligns with what we see a lot from from the surveys, at least about chief data officers or chief data analytics officers. If you look at the survey from MVP, it turns out that they say roughly 40-ish percent are about defense, regulatory and efficiency savings here. Um, whereas it does seem like, you know, there was a big uptick, or, you know, in 2021, about 70% started with offense. Now it's back down to about 64%. I think there's this tension that you described that CTOs and CIOs went through that they're feeling as well. The other thing I wanted to just point out here is if you think about the actual value that the data is supposed to be creating, we all talk about it's the most valuable asset in the world. What's remarkable is that, and again, this is in repeat survey, so this is again biased towards organizations that have data officers. Only 53% have a corporate data strategy. Only half of those, that is half the companies out there out of a survey that has chief data, 74% of these people have chief data officers or somebody responsible for it. Only half of those companies have a data strategy, corporate data strategy. And out of those, only only 60% have a strategy that's generating success. So what we're really talking about here is a relatively new role that's again permeating a fair decent, I mean, 21% of the market, that's not too bad, right? Of the top large companies anyway. But of those, only about a quarter are actually generating any real success with data, at least with their data strategy holistically. And so I think part of that is that they haven't been in the C-suite. They haven't been, they haven't had leadership roles historically. It's partly that I think a lot of it came out of that insurance and banking where there was really just compliance and governance that they had to do for regulatory reasons. It wasn't seen as a big driver of the business. But we're seeing that change now where everything was AI just a couple of years ago, everything was innovation, and now we're getting into some balance. I don't know, did, did, did that happen to CIO, CTO too? Which is like, it started in CFO, it was cost control it moved to the e-commerce and really growth functioning of the business. Did it move back? Like what's the balance there? I think for the most part, most CIOs report, you know, to, to the, the CEO and, and are considered a key strategic leadership role. But I think it goes back to, I love this dad, like only 50% report success. Like, well, what is success? Yeah. Right. And that's, that is the big shift that I think that has happened with CIOs that I think needs to happen with the, the chief data officers 
is and i can't take credit for this and this was uh from a mckinsey article in, in 2020 uh, around uh reimagining the role of, of tech leadership one of the big roles is translator mm-hmm. right like okay we have business initiatives like business needs like we need to have good loyalty programs or drive self-service right away from our call centers like okay well how does technology achieve that the ceos had to become very business savvy communicators and learn how to communicate the technical work as driving the business results and i think from the chief data officers that's something that they're going to have to learn is like how do i communicate the value of all of this data well you know what are the various roles but more important than what are the roles like what value do they add to the organization right and so if you could say for example we have some data program and it has improved our data quality and therefore reduced waste that we sent you know we send marketing emails out to people that won't do them and we get the same response or even higher response sending you know one third is any as many emails for one third the cost those type of things are what the chief data officers need to be moving towards yeah i think that that makes sense and resonates with what i heard so i talked to a lot of people as out there um, and the one you point out, I sort of summarized a few a few technical notes, if you will, of, of what I think are the job description. And in one that you brought up just now, which actually came from my friend Craig, who's at McDonald's, now the chief data officer at Best Buy, he said, you are an evangelist. Part of the job of a chief data scientist is to, or chief data officer in general is to be an evangelist. That is, you have to inspire and teach your peers what's possible with this data. It's still a nascent technology. It's still has yet to revolutionize a huge chunk of the business. We've certainly seen it in marketing to some degree with the optimizations you've just talked about. We've seen it in some products with recommendation engines, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. And so really teaching them as part of that job. Another one that I heard was about a coach. That is that you have to be able to point out, not only inspire them, but then point out which of these should we actually go after and how to think about that problem. Because what you're really doing in in a chief data officer role is getting a business to prioritize data things over other business objectives. And then there's a tension there, which was the next one around the incentives for that, like who's gonna get credit? And so again, you have to be a scrappy technologist. This came from the chief data officer at Chewy actually. And it was about how do you make the best of the infrastructure that wasn't really built for you? And this is something we've talked about before with ML ops in particular. We have, chief data officers have big, the CEOs have big expectations of them in terms of delivering real value. And then they don't have infrastructure and tooling that was actually built for them. And so that's tricky. And the last one was around being a politician. And what I'm talking about here is really navigating those somewhat treacherous waters of misaligned incentives with, by the way, again, most chief data officers are new. Most of them are from outside the organization. Most of them haven't been in a role like this before. Some do come from CIOs and CTOs, but most are outside. So you're expecting somebody who's new to the C-suite, new to this political water, to be successful, effectively taking credit for, sharing credit for, and getting budget from other executives who have been on it for a long time. I mean, when it, you know, we think about just internally, it's, it's me versus you sometimes, Jason, not really. Um, but you know, I don't really wanna go into that battle because you've been at this for a long time. You know how to navigate these waters a lot better. And so that, that leads me to, those, those are sort of the job descriptions in, in what I heard. But it made me wonder, like, what? Well, what is the responsibility? Like, what are the roles and responsibilities of effective chief data officers? And and the first one I want to start with is again, if you're responsible for the data within an organization, um, 
what does that mean? Like, what do you have to do? And one of the things that occurred to me, dawned on me as I was thinking about this, is that back in the day when we were on-prem, all, all these things were on-prem, what did we call the buildings that had all our servers? Uh, data centers. Data centers. And who's responsible for a data center, Jason? That'd be the chief technology officer or the chief information officer. <laughs> exactly. Not the chief data officer. The chief data officer is not responsible for a data center. Not, in fairness, we've moved to the cloud. But like this is the tension. And so I'm curious, like how, how should existing CIOs and CTOs and up-and-coming CDOs be thinking about it, at least from your perspective? Like who does what? That's a very good question. I mean, part of it is, I think this was the topic of our last, probably very rambling, very unintelligible podcast where I was throwing out some ideas that like applications need to be more architected around data and some of the data patterns. I, I think that that is something that chief data officers can bring. Like, mm -hmm. hey, here's, here's the more modern ways to collect, process, govern, ensure the quality of data for all of these applications. And maybe that, that leaks into some of the application architecture itself mm -hmm. and you know i think with all of these things it's not going to be you know my favorite phrase of let's jack up the radiator cap and slide a new car underneath right we can't <laughs> we're not going to come in and say like here's the chief data officer's role just like we didn't do that with the cios that ha that transition happened over the last 20 years i think they're going to be a little bit of having to to work through and figure that out and find out where the boundaries are between the two but i do think you know data ownership governance quality are big areas where th they can really help CIOs, CTOs. And I think looking at some of these new data patterns and then working, you know, we've talked about AI and MLOps a lot, like starting to, to work with them to implement some of those things. But again, we're going to have to work. And I think the CIOs can be a big benefit here to help chief data officers communicate like, well, why should we do this? And what is the benefit to that business? Because they've been, you know, for the last 20 years learning how to do that. Yeah. And, and by the way, when I was researching this podcast, again, one of the things I saw under CIO as a definition was actually chief infrastructure officer. Have you heard that one before? Never heard that. One. <laughs> well, I thought it was interesting because I also came across a quote from somebody else who likes to break up CIO and CDO in the following. They say they like to use the analogy of a bucket and water. And in particular, the chief information officer is responsible for the bucket. That is, they're responsible for making sure that the bucket's the right size, that there are no holes in it, that it's safe, that it's in the right place. And the chief data officer then is responsible for the fluid that goes into the bucket, comes out of the bucket, that it goes in the right place, that it's not of the right quality and the right fluid to start with. And neither the bucket nor the water will work without the other, of course. I think that I think that's a very clean analogy, but I don't actually think I agree. I'm curious what your thoughts are again. Yeah, I don't agree with it either. Like that would that would tend to mean like, you know, in very practical terms, like I design, you know, data clusters, database clusters, and, and you would design the data that goes in it. Right. Um, I, I think that is actually a very poor, poor, you know, and, and that is actually a, the historical way we have broken down those two roles, like mm -hmm. between, let's say, technology architects and and data architects as we've built systems and that's led to systems that you know are somewhat not optimal i right. would say so i would say a much better way to think about it is from for some business objective right mm -hmm. like to take take any business objective reduce churn mm -hmm. right like what are the things we need to do to reduce churn some of them will be very data oriented and some of them will be very system application interface and, and design 
oriented mm-hmm. and but those two things I, I so i guess i could see the analogy working in that those two things are what have to work together like the, sure. the bucket and the water but um, I, think, like, I, think, I think it may be more hard yeah i think it may be more that may be more of a squishy boundary than than people realize yeah I, exactly and i think part of the problem here is that look as a chief data officer i can tell you i don't actually control the data that applications decide to generate I can do my darndest, and I and I absolutely do. And we can write and prescribe guidelines, and we can write and prescribe methodologies and processes and governance panels and MDM, and all these things that we've been trying for the past decade. And it won't work. It just that's not how the world works. And in a world where there's more data than ever, everybody wants more access than ever. As we're as we continue to push down this frontier, it's just unrealistic that we could have human centric processes that control all of that. I mean listen to our pod or read our blogs on, on modern data governance and see all the challenges that you're going to face by doing that. So the idea that you could decouple a bucket, the infrastructure from the data itself seems woefully inadequate. I'm a bit naive, frankly. My analogy for that is how many contact lists do you have on right. your phone, right? Like I've got the one I transferred over from my iPhone to my new Android. I've got the stuff I've entered in Gmail. I've got the one from my corporate email server. Yeah. They're all wrong. I don't take the time to go through and make sure that they all stay in perfect sync with the phone numbers and emails, but eventually something aggregates them in this case, my Android phone and makes them available and it's good enough mm-hmm. data. Right. And so that my analogy there, probably a bad one, but for these systems, yes, you're not going to be able, I've seen that many times where chief data officers have come in and gone out and laid down some mandates on all of the uh, application owners. And those mandates were promptly ignored, <laughs> right? Because they have their own Correct. mandates from their people that actually uh, do their reviews and decide their bonuses. But I do think they can, they can work together to, you know, aggregate that data, clean it up, incrementally get improvements added back in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, working with their, their technology friends. Uh, and, and clean that up and but but I think that kind of and I don't think mean it to sound like well it's a secondary concern I think data is very important but I, I do think it's going to have to be a, a gradual process yeah so if that's not the analogy then I suspect our listeners will say well what what is and I, don't, I don't think I have a very clear analogy here just to be really clear so let me just try and articulate some of the things that I think this role needs to have in it um, one is that there needs to be some responsibility and accountability for the infrastructure. No doubt about it. I mean, look, if you don't understand what database is, your data is going to flow. And if you don't understand what that's streaming or batched, you don't understand the implications of that, then you can't solve the business problem at hand. And back to the point, part of what we've seen both in the surveys that I've artic- that I've mentioned here, what we've seen from our own client success and my own personal success is that you have to get crisp with the business early on and say, what do you as a business leader need for the data to do? And part of that then comes back to helping educate them about what's actually possible. So I'd say like the number one priority then becomes internal evangelism. And what I mean by that is, look, you have to help them understand what's actually possible with data. You have to inspire them. You have to give them a path to go execute on that. And it's not just evangelism for the sake of evangelism. They actually have to action on this. Otherwise, you've kind of failed at the evangelism. So the outcome of that, the metric around that is, can you find, can you inspire a couple of business leaders to sign up for whatever you're pitching in essence, right? And the second part of that is then evangelism externally. So we know that these people, these data practitioners are in incredible demand. Um, again, U.S. Bureau of Labor Stats says, you know, data scientists in particular, that's, that's only one of the groups you're going to need, by the way. 
yeah, it's going to increase by about 30%, the number of demand, that is the number of jobs needed, about 30% over the next two years. Comp TIA, I don't know this company, they did a survey, um, and they have a prediction that it's going to be 268 growth for data science over the next decade. To put that in perspective, cybersecurity, the thing's about 253, so data science is actually bigger than cyber, and we know how important cyber is these days, and that developers in general will be grow about 200%. So for every two developers you believe over the next decade, you'll have to have three data scientists. Um, again, just one of the neat people needed. Last one I'll give you here, um, around, around sort of the top 10 tech jobs in 2022. Again, these things are all very subjective, but it just illustrates the point. One more way to triangulate here. Full stack engineers are, are number two at the moment. Uh, the number one's information security officer. Data scientist is number three. Data engineer is number six. Oh, I forgot one. Machine learning engineer, which is number four. So three, uh, three out of the top 10 in-demand jobs go exactly what we're talking about. And I'd argue that full stack engineering actually is a fairly data intensive job these days too. So maybe four out of the 10 are actually this. And so that leads me to a place of saying like, in, in ranked order, if you will, internal evangelism, you have to find one or two businesses. And by the way, don't boil the ocean, only find one or two early days, make them successful. But that also requires you to talk about it externally so that you can recruit the people you need to actually execute on this. So that's really tough. And then I think the other part of this is really like the question of should it include analytics or not? And in my personal belief is that it should. And the reason I say that it should is because at the end of the day, the value that chief data officers or data in general creates is by allowing the business to grow and potentially saving costs too, but really allowing the business to grow. And that requires analytics at the end of the day. I mean, data by itself, we know how to do operational data stores. That's not new. I think a typical engineer would be able to pull up any random data field from anywhere in the company, basically, and show it on a dashboard. That's not really the big thing that's changed here. It's pulling lots of data sources together, doing something intelligent with that, and then showing it back with a recommendation engine or uh, a prioritization engine, et cetera. It's funny you mentioned the, the security uh, mm-hmm. folks because it's not something I'd thought about until just now when you mentioned it. But I think CISO is probably a very similar role that maybe is a, a few years ahead of chief data officer, right, uh, mm-hmm. in, that, in that life cycle. And, you know, I think there's probably a lot of analog there too. For example, CISOs have become somewhat a very matrixed org, you know, in with the different applications. So there's some security policy, security governance, et cetera, that happens outside like individual uh, technology teams, but they tend to have representatives within those technology teams to make sure that those things are, are enforced. So they have somewhat of, a, I think, a matrixed org uh, or a matrix function, let's say, you know, within uh, the technology organization, sometimes outside of the technology organization, right, as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is a, a role that you could look at as somewhat a model that is, how do you work with the CIO and more technology you know, driven functions of the company? That might be a good one to look at. Yeah, that's a really good call out. Um, you know, in my mind, by the way, <laughs> and we have a CISO and I don't, I don't wanna embarrass him, but, um, my my joke is always a bit that CISOs are really just a scapegoat. Like they're just there so that when you have a data breach, you can fire somebody, you can point a finger and fire somebody. Um, I, it's not true, I realize. But uh, the, the thing I want to tease out of that though for real is a lot of how I imagine a CISO anyway, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong, you can tell me I'm wrong, it's okay, I often am, um, is that it's really about mitigation of risk 
And that feels a lot like the cost-cutting thing that we talked about before, sort of mitigating the damage of, of all this data stuff that you have to do or mitigating the damage of the IT stuff that you have to do. And the piece that I want to tease out is that, in, from my perspective, I think a big part of what made CIOs and CTOs successful ultimately, and I think a big part of what will make CDOs effectively, effective ultimately, is driving actual revenue. And I'm just curious, do you see the parallel um, in CISO, or is that really just about mitigating risk? No, I I think CISO's job are to mitigate risk, and you know, from from your description, if CIO's career is over, maybe CISO is career is soon over. I don't know, but um, <laughs> that's good. But uh, let's trademark that, huh? Sarah? Yeah, sure thing. <laughs> but I I do think the the analogy was one more of how to work with the technology leadership. Sure, you know, not so much what you do. So I, I do think it's a big that's revenue. Fair. I, I do think that the data focus needs to be maybe well, some mitigate maybe you know maybe the CISO is more about mitigating the risk of secure you know data security data loss prevention those type of things but I, I do see that the chief data officer more around how do we use data to improve you know company operations improve services improve service improve the products or add new products those type of things. So it's, it's very revenue customer focused, but I, I, I meant more as a way of starting by incrementally finding value, working with the, the, sure. the CIOs yeah. as, as a way to, to kind of figure out where those boundaries of, and roles and responsibilities, you know, exist. I think that's fair. And that, I think that's a great, a great parallel that we should probably investigate more. The, the other thing that came to mind as you were saying that though, is part of what could happen here again, for those, for those organizations that are sort of very far down this path, they've had a CDO for a long time. A lot of that was really around mitigating risk, that is governance, compliance things. I wonder if it makes more sense to, again, remember that CDO didn't exist five years ago for most organizations. You, you imagine that most of those organizations already had data, they already had applications, they already had infrastructure doing all this stuff. So this role really is some combination of creating a new role, but also taking responsibilities from other people. Part of that might be actually pushing that governance stuff that they've historically done over to the CISO, because it feels very natural. Compliance, regulatory, security, that all feels like it's sort of the same vein and era, and I don't know, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I haven't really thought through it, because again, I just thought of that analogy five minutes ago, but I, I do think that's probably that, that sounds very reasonable. <laughs> okay, I guess I should enough. say I, I, I like the idea. Off the cuff, you don't want to just agree with me? That's yeah. Yeah, too dangerous. Not smart, Jason. No doubt. Clearly, you've worked with me before. <laughs> but I, I do think the one of the things we often talk about and we've written about is is you want with data, like start with some real problem. Mm-hmm. Like don't try to just like, here's the new, again, that's my radiator cap and new car analogies. Like don't just come in like, hey, here's the new org. Here's what I'm responsible for. Let's start with some real problems if your organization's biggest problem is data quality, we don't have good data, we can't report on anything, like, well, then let's start there. If, if your company's problem is we don't have enough data to make decisions, right, then let's start there. And let's evolve our way to what the right relationship is with others. I think that's good. I'm getting a look from our producer, so I have to be a little bit more punchy here in my last last little bit. But anyway, the... That, that leads me to the question of, as, as you think about the CIO, CTO role, and again, do you have a perspective on, is it better to have two roles or one role? Back to my question of like, should it include analytics or not? I do think it should. Okay, so you agree with that. And, right. and is, there, is there a good, can I point to CIO, CTO? Have you guys resolved this or 
or no, there's not a good, I would just have to create our, pave our own way. Yeah. I, you know, CIO, CTO, I don't know that there is a right okay. answer, right? Okay. I think it's, fair enough. you know, whatever companies do, you know, there are these internal and external roles. And I think, you know, whatever they call them, those roles are fairly well-defined. Okay. And so I think you will, whether that becomes two different roles or one, uh, who knows? I mm-hmm. think it may be all different in different companies. To me, it's more about like, do we know what they're doing and how they interact with everyone else, specifically the technology organization? Okay, that's fair. How did, as you guys moved from cost saving, you guys, you know, metaphorically here, the, the, the royal you, um, as you moved from cost saving to real revenue growth, how did you manage the incentives? And what I mean by that is like, look, if you go to a business today, let's, let's just make it easy. Let's say we go to marketing today and we say, hey, we can help you reach three times as many people or have three times the click-through rate, which means you can decrease your cost by a third and keep everything the same. They say, that sounds pretty good. Like, what do I have to do? And you say, well, instead of hiring that new marketer you wanted or instead of spending all that on you know, social or whatever you're doing, spend it on our people instead internally. Just give me that money and I'll, and I'll get all that for you. That executive may or may not be excited about that proposition. Every organization deals with the internal transfer of money and politics and KPIs a little differently. Are there any good lessons to be learned on the, from, from your experience here? Well, my experience uh, with most of my clients is those mandates generally come down from above, mm-hmm. right? Like, hey, CIO, figure out a way to drive three times as much revenue through our digital channel, right? And so like, I don't think that necessarily the business really cares that much about how we go do it, right? They just want it done. So to me, those tend to flow down. I think that the question will become for the chief data officers, like, are there things like that that would flow directly to them? Or would they be a part of a lot of other initiatives? I think, and at least initially, they're going to have to be part of other initiatives because they're going to have to build up their infrastructure. And I mean, infrastructure, not in terms of like servers and data, but just in terms of like, ways of working and social capital within the organization, that type of thing right. to where people will then come to them and say, Hey Vince, figure out a way to X. So I, I think again, it's an evolution, mm-hmm. right? You think of it as a path up the mountain. I think CEOs are closer to the top. CISOs are somewhere in the middle. Chief data officers down to the bottom, but I, I think it's a similar path and, and people will start to, to engage just like they start to engage CISOs directly. Now engage you directly around certain things and, and I'm not, I don't know that we should try to design what those things are. We should more let it evolve okay. into what it should be. No, that's totally reasonable. And again, just statistics to back up what you just said. Again, among organizations that typically have it, this role, we're looking at roughly 40% feel that they have a CDO, CDAO role that's established. About 43% say it's nascent and involving. So that fits exactly what you said. And again, 17%, they're struggling with the turnover of this role. Um, so not terribly surprisingly. See, I give opinions and he gives data. That's kind of the way we work together. <laughs> so that's the difference between a CTO and a CIO, I, I guess. That's what I would expect. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. So, so with that in mind, I mean, in, in this incentive thing, top of mind in particular, the next question I think follows naturally, although I've maybe biased the you and the listeners a little bit just by the ordering here, but to whom should this person report the CDO, the CDAO report? Pass. <laughs> I think it's going to be my answer. Yeah. 
I mean, here, I, I generally he, don't know. I, I think there's probably better people than me to answer that question. I, I tend to not focus on too much on, on who reports to whom. Well, but it matters, right? Like, like, look, you, I think you hinted at it before with the CTO and where you guys typically report. Let me, let me, let me make some points here, which is back to the point. We know that fewer than half the organizations that are already sort of down this path have a data-driven strategy. Like in their corporate strategy, only half have it. If you want your company to be data-driven, you want to extract the value out of your data, then you have to have a data-driven company, okay? And in order to have a data-driven company, that means your strategy, your corporate strategy must be heavily influenced by what? Data, right? Like data-drivenness, data-driven culture. Therefore, heavily influenced by whom? The CDO. We just said that the role of a CDO is to effectively influence the culture. Secondly, if you think about that remit of how do you transform the organization, that your point is right. It comes down from the top. And so to me, it seems that you have to empower the CEO and the board have to empower this person to actually go carve off the pieces that are relevant. Because again, the organizations exist today. They have data today, maybe not using it well, but they have it today. The businesses operate today, maybe not as effectively as they could, but they do operate, which means that this new role has to carve out functions and authority to do that from a variety of different parts of the organization. Yeah, I agree. I, I think my reluctance to answer uh, is is more out of a, well, one, I don't want a bunch of chief data officers coming and finding out where I live, but <laughs> you know, it, it's more out of a practical aspect of, look, I, I don't know any CEO that wants more direct reports, right? That's fair. And, and, That's fair. and they're going to only accept one very begrudgingly when they realize, wow, this person adds a lot of value and That's needs fair. to have a seat at the table. Okay. And so the, so my, my message or my answer is more around the, like maybe that is where, definitely I think it's where you end up. Mm -hmm. But maybe not where you start. But not where they start, right. Okay, well let me, let me try one last pass to convince you real quick. Again, we said earlier that CDOs are ultimately responsible for the most valuable asset in the world, that is the data. They're expected to leverage it to bring about major transformational change. They're given remarkably little time, we're talking 18, 24 month kind of timeframes to do that. And despite that audacious, audacious expectation, they're expected to do it without reporting the CEO, according to you. I just don't know how you have the authority to restructure orgs, make technology decisions, how to change incentives, that get the budget to replatform in the cases that you need to, let alone like force somebody to, to, to implement data changes to capture the right data. I agree. I, you know, those are all things you need to do. I just think like, the way to do that is not to set someone up for immediately a knife fight with the CIO, right? Because that, sure. that is actually going to make it take longer. It's like, hey, if okay. this person can work with the CIO and say like, hey, let's, you know, That's fair. let me influence. It, to me, it's the same as like the, the architecture team. Architects mm -hmm. the same way, right? Mm -hmm. And and I know who some companies who have a chief enterprise architect, which doesn't report to the you know CEO. Same way with chief digital officer, chief marketing officer, like those roles end up generally in a, yeah. I fight in the parking lot. So, you no, know, that, that I, I think there's fair. a lot of, there's a lot Wait. of practicality in that argument. I think a better thing would be smart CIOs need to learn to listen to the data officers and carve out those things you just, that you just said, instead of viewing them as a, you know, oh, here's my, 
here's my guy with all the Excel spreadsheets, right? You know, and start listening to them as they would some of the architects. But I, you know, I do think over time, the more and more, I guess, footprint that you have within the organization, the more and more it may be something that you can do, you know, directly. So, yeah, no, that's right. La- last thing I'll say, and again, I think you're right. That there is this question of, do you do it through influence or do you do it through authority? And, and maybe you're right, early days, maybe influence is just going to lead to a better outcome versus to really cramming it down everybody's throat initially. Um, that could be right. L- last thing I will say, though, to your point, our CEO is reluctantly taking this on. In reporting to the street, so financial reporting, you're seeing an increasing amount of data being pulled into those investor reports, increasingly amount talked about on um, investor calls. Uh, so this one comes from PwC. They did an analysis of the top 2,000 companies' reports over the past, since 2017. And they analyzed the number of terms, analytics, machine learning, data, AI. Um, and those companies, typical, a typical company now, refers to data 52 times in their annual report. Um, and while the range fluctuates dramatically between companies, um, from as low as just a couple mentions to as many as 200 times in a report, the trend is that two-thirds of all companies have grown in the amount of times they mentioned data or data-related assets um, since 2017. And so my only last point there is just like CEOs and boards and the investment team that is the street really cares about this. They recognize this will be a differentiator long-term and they're expecting CEOs to address it. And so having somebody who understands that and is sort of, you know, mind melts with the CEO, at least from the strategic standpoint, I think is gonna be important. Now do they have to report to them? Maybe not, but they are gonna have to increasingly amount, increase the amount of time they spend with these people. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, last question then really is, again, imagine that we're talking now about the roughly 80% of organizations that don't have one of these people um, today. They're thinking about, hey, maybe we should do this. I'm curious, um, internal, external hire, how did that play out for CIOs, CTOs? I, I think it depends on the company. It's, that's, it's hard to make that. It's more, like more of a talent issue, Okay, right? Do you have the talent or do you feel you have the talent? If you do, internal is great because there. Listen, there's a lot of institutional knowledge in the data, folks' heads. You don't want to lose, but you know if you don't, then you definitely want to go external and get it because it is, to your point, such a, a critical thing. Yeah. I would argue that probably many do not have that, uh, you know, capability internally and, and yeah. should go. But it's hard to say. I think that's reasonable. If you look at the data again, roughly 50% higher an external change agent. I mean, you realize that you are asking for a transformational change. Sometimes it's easier to bring somebody new in. Um, other times it's actually worse. <laughs> the body rejects this foreign body in it and uh, makes it a little bit harder. And and by the way, again, from the research from Randy and New Vantage, 91% of CDOs believe that cultural impediments are the biggest blocker. Used to be like, uh, what, 2017 or something, that it was, that it was typically technology. I think the cloud has just moved along far enough down this path that it's no longer technology. It's actually culture and people and process. That is the biggest blocker. And so having somebody who's savvy to that, back to the point of internal evangelism becomes really important. Back to the point of like incentives become important, how to navigate that. And that's a really, you know, becoming more data driven is a, is a really big shift, much bigger shift than people believe because say like, we're gonna go do this program whatever program it may be. We're gonna go build a loyalty, pro- I'm using pick, pick on loyalty programs this week a lot. 
but we're going to go build a loyalty program. Well, that's going to take like a year. Right. Right. And, and so can you break the problem down a little smaller and do it in a lot of incremental steps that you measure and data drive? Right. Yeah. Each, you know, and so this kind of build, measure, learn, the lean idea, build, measure, learn, that's an entire company way of working, kind of shift culturally, not just for, you know, to be more data driven, but to do software delivery and other things in a way that you can be data driven. Mm-hmm. Right. And so those are, again, that's where I think the, the CIO partnership there, like whether it's a reporting relationship or not, there had to be like very tightly aligned and that we need to work together to move to these new ways of working that are very iterative and, and data driven as opposed to we do a study the highest paid person in the room announces this is the new three-year strategy and it's three years now from before we know if it works or not right no i think that's exactly right and i think look just to quickly summarize i think a lot of it is exactly what you said like you need to you need to come in regardless internal or external you need to come in and realize that there is a big shift that has to take place that you have to ultimately start small to find a few people that are that are sort of naturally I use I always call them green dots that is if you have an org chart power chart right and you show like hey who's aligned who's not right the green ones are the people that you are just more likely to work with you um, start with some green dots make them successful start small don't boil the ocean don't try and think through everything that we might do someday just think through the stuff that we have to get done to make that one person successful and then show the success and leverage that to sort of continue to grow the groundswell and and that really means focusing on the business outcome staying hyper focused on how do you actually drive value talk about that focus on that drive towards that and then again evangelize that once you actually have it Um, and then the last bit would be remember that you're not alone i think the most encouraging thing to me as somebody who's had this role at many companies and felt very isolated, very alone, very very much like I was trying to create the wheel for the first time on my own, um, remember that this is, this is normal. This is common. These trends that we're talking about, this role is new. These people haven't done it before. The success is still very early days. It's not easy to do this well. And so create a community around you and find other people like you. And if you if you want to do that, you can always reach out to Claire. We have, we have this, such a community. You can welcome to join. Um, this, this event I went to last week at MIT, the CDIOQ, seems to have a really great community around it. And I'm sure there are many, many more, just to be clear. Um, but do find that community. Any, any closing thoughts from you, Jason? No, it's a good topic. I, uh, I enjoyed this one. That's good. Well, for those of you who'd like to learn more, please visit the insights page at codera.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again. Thank you, Jason.